What I find is few people look at these communities as the resource that they are. They fail to see them as a way to make the most of your life, improve relationships with family and friends, and do better in business and your career. Are you tapping into the power of community? Why not? Join us for Let's Talk Community, where George and his guests discuss the communities they belong to and how they've tapped the power. We all have communities we belong to, and we can easily tap into them to grow our business, advance our careers, make changes in our personal lives, and of course, in our relationships. Join us. You might learn something. Well, everyone, this is George Diaz, and I'm bringing you episode one of Let's Talk Community. And I'm um, sure the question is going through a lot of people's minds is what's so important about community? What's the big deal? Well, in order to answer that question, I'm going to have to tell you a little bit about myself uh, over the first, oh, five to 10 episodes. I'm going to intersperse my story along with interviews that I'm going to be having with uh, people that I know on the topic of community. And you'll learn a lot more about me. But in this one, I'm going to start with my story, which involves a couple bouts, actually three or four bouts with unemployment and how that introduced me to community and the importance of community. Now, I am a computer guy. Uh, I got a master's degree in computer science at the age of 21 from Purdue University. I'm not saying that just to tout myself or anything, but I am a gearhead smart guy at heart. I'm the kind of guy that says, I'm going to figure this out no matter what, and I'm gonna use my wits I'm going to use my hard work. I'm going to use the fact that I'm extremely driven. And by the way, you can ask my wife of 37 years that I'm probably more driven than she cares for. Um, and I'm a guy that it's not that I didn't need other people. It's just that I didn't tend to reach out to other people. And my natural tendency when I get under stress or when I got a big problem is to isolate, suck it up go into my work and figure it out some way, somehow. Now, fast forward a bunch of years. I worked 10 years at IBM when IBM was a real big deal. This is from 84 to 94. They invented the PC. I was hired shortly thereafter. And I was an engineer building super cool communication protocols. Um, back in the 80s, I was working on an account for Citibank helping to build the communication protocols between the U.S. banks and the South American airports where they were releasing the first ATM machines. So just tell you a little bit about my world. Fast forward a little bit, I worked for Compaq, who was then on their way to being the largest computer company on the planet. The schools have changed since then. But there I was working to make sure that their PC laptops were compatible with Microsoft's operating system. For those of you that remember Codename Chicago, what eventually became Windows 3.0, I was one of the guys working that at Compaq. So move forward a little bit. I got into the internet and I got into the internet really, really early on when nobody knew what the heck it was. And um, because of that, I joined a startup company uh, that was building websites when nobody even knew what the heck a website was. And that company didn't do so well. So I kind of went on my own, started building websites for people. 
And I eventually got hired by a company that I'm, I'm mentioning their name because they're no longer around, a company called Stratasys. They were a 7,500-person um, IT consulting team. They did everything from networks to um, you know, infrastructure projects, um, Microsoft things for hospitals, banks, things like that. And I was hired on as the guy to start their internet division. So, uh, you know, I put together a team that eventually grew to about eight people. And our focus was 100% around building internet solutions for people. Again, I'm just telling you about my background. And um, I'm into it about a year and a half, two years. It's the summer of 2000. Now, uh, those of you who know, remember in 2000, that was the year that the internet or the world was going to fall apart because when the clock on computers changed from, you know, midnight in 1999 to 2000, everything was supposed to stop. It didn't. So I, you know, that was another part of my world. So that summer, uh, things in the company with me were not going too well. I'll spare you the details, but I was asked to leave and not kindly, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. And here I am sitting there going, oh my God, I just lost my job. Didn't have a lot of savings. Uh, my wife uh, and I were in our late thirties. We have three daughters. They're all in private schools. Money is super tight, especially since we have no savings. And I tap into this program called Back on Track Network. Now, Back on Track Network started off as a Catholic church ministry, but it had become a not-for-profit uh, organization. And someone told me, hey, you ought to go to one of their meetings. And I went to their meetings and I go, wow, this is really good. Other people in the same jam that I'm in, um, and, and I could learn from them. Um, I could learn from them uh, a little bit about the mechanics of getting work, which for me wasn't that big of a struggle. For me was the dynamics at home. And I learned from that community, mostly of men, but there were plenty of women involved as well, is that whenever you lose your work, it's not just you that's lost work, but it's the family. It's your spouse, your significant other that's in there. And one thing they shared with us, and I find this to be 100% true, is that in any good marriage and any good relationship, there's a, an optimist and then a not so optimist. Um, I won't call them a pessimist, but you know, it's the optimist and the pessimist. And one person is going, hey, we're going to get through this. This is going to be all right. We've got great job potential, you know, whatever. The other person's going, our bank account has nothing in it. We have a bunch of bills. The power is due. They're going to turn off our phones. You know, you have two sides, the yin and the yang. And both sides, and you don't know which one is the one that's out of work, it could be the pessimist, it could be the optimist, have to figure out how to get through it and how to help the other person through it. Um, and, and there was just, you know, good advice, good recommendations, and then support because sometimes you'd get there and the meetings were on Thursday nights. And, you know, you'd kind of share your story and someone was going, oh, been there, done that. I understand. Maybe you can try this. Or when it happened to me, uh, I, I did this and it helped me. So it, it became a little bit like almost like an Alcoholics Anonymous group for people who are out of work and supporting, sharing and encouraging others through this process. Uh, I was very fortunate. The Internet was super hot at the time. And because of all the training I had gotten from my previous employer, 
I put my uh, resume out there. And the next morning, I had so many interested people that I couldn't, I just couldn't keep up with them. Uh, and this is because, you know, it was uh, the end of Y2K, uh, Y2K um, year 2000, right? That was that Y2K, that's what it stood for. There was a huge demand for people with internet skills. And then I had the benefit of having worked for large corporations. So I wasn't just some kid who had learned how to work the internet. I was someone who had come out of corporate and had very strong internet skills. So I was able to land a job with uh, KPMG Consulting. Uh, and my job was to hit the road. I was um, you know, uh, away from home four or five days a week. It was a little bit stressful on um, you know, the home life. Uh, fortunately, my wife had worked for a road warrior, her, not had worked, had lived in the house of a road warrior because her father was one all his life. So she had an understanding of how that was going to work, how the dynamic worked. And, and actually, that part of it wasn't uh, a problem. But as a result of me being on the road now, I could not participate in uh, back on track, even though they had been very helpful to me. And in the back of my mind, I was going, you know, I really should help out, you know, give back in some way because they were the support they gave me through that job search uh, was really priceless. And, and my story wasn't that stressful because I want to say I was out of work for two months, if that. Um, and, and I made a nice pay, um, you know, pay jump uh, when I moved over. OK, four years go by. I'm working for KPMG Consulting and um, I. This is kind of crazy. I took a position with another company. And after they gave me the offer, they rescinded the offer, but not before I had already quit. Talk about a crummy situation. And so here I am once again out of work. And it, this was a total surprise. So the first thing I thought to do was to call my buddies at Back on Track. And I started attending, you know, their meetings again. I got reconnected. And that was fortunately another short stint. And I was back on the road pretty, pretty quickly. Again, I wasn't able to get super involved with the program uh, because I was traveling, you know, uh, out of town. And, um, and, and, you know, that, but that stayed in the back of my mind. I really want, hey, this is a great organization. I really should help them. There's a lot of people that need the support. And I'm someone who's been through the experience, understands what they teach you. And I could be one of the teachers. Fine. A year goes by. I lose my job again. So now I'm on bout number three. And this time I get a lot more involved. Um, fortunately, because of my technology skills, I get a job relatively quickly. But now I have a job where I'm not required to travel. So this was my opportunity to jump in and get involved in that back on track network community. At first, I was a speaker. Um, I volunteered as a job hunt coach. Um, I have a knack for writing resumes. Um, I, I'm pretty good at helping people prepare for, for interviewing. And I go, that's my strength. Let me apply it in this, in this ministry. And, you know, it, it was, it started off as a church ministry. It's, it's a non-for-profit, but we always called it a ministry. And so here I am uh, getting involved, interacting with people and 
the organization asked me to join their board. And I go, yeah, I'll join as the board. And, you know, they, they were trying to figure out their future. Were they just going to be um, meeting in church basements, um, you know, throughout the year? Uh, I uh, was asked to start a new meeting at the church that I belong to. So we had one at St. John Newman's. That was the, let's call it the mother, the mother location, the headquarters. Uh, I started a a branch operation over at St. Louis. So they would meet on Thursdays. We would meet on, I don't know if it was Mondays or Tuesdays. And, you know, that was my participation. And one of the things that happened as I was doing all this was I was thinking, gosh, we've got some great speakers giving fabulous presentations. We would have job coaches uh, talking about how to set up your resume, how to make the most of your skills uh, in a in an interview situation, uh, we had recruiters that would help people connect with potential employers, giving advice on that uh, standpoint. Uh, I had read the book that I recently recommended to someone I know called uh, "What Colors Your Parachute," which was just a great way to assess your skills, um, identify your skills independent of the jobs you use them in, and then you know describe what's called transferable skills. What are skills that I have because of jobs that I have used? And how do I explain them to people on my resume, in job hunts, in interviews, in ways that other people can, can get it and appreciate the fact that I have skills that, that can transfer into another job? Uh, and I, I, I love that presenting from different chapters of that book. And um, one of the things that I thought of was, hey, the internet, so now we're at about 2006, um, a lot of time had come by, the internet was a lot more mature, by this time people are using more online banking, uh, it's a little more commonplace, and I go, could we build the back on track online meeting? Right. And this is before Zoom and, and that technology was available. But could we make a lot of this information available to the job hunter at large who is not in Miami and who cannot participate on Thursday or Monday or Tuesday nights at the meeting? And I presented that to the board. And, you know, especially the, the guy who ran the, the guy who was the chair was like, nah, George, you know, that he, he didn't see the vision of the Internet. But more importantly, he was worried about control. Um, how are we going to keep it from, you know, maybe having bad information or how are we going to control what's published, things like that? Uh, it was really kind of a rain on my parade experience for me. And, and I go, OK, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a prototype and I'm going to come back and present it. And they were going, OK, fine. But, you know, no guarantees were they weren't really cool on my idea, but whatever. So I went off. And I built a, a website. Now, keep in mind, I'm an internet guy, but I really hadn't been hands-on internet for a while. So I, I invested time upping my skills. I learned WordPress, which now is basically the de facto. At the time, it was kind of like an emerging sort of platform. And I built a website, and it was called the Back on Track um, Resource Library. Uh, it wasn't official. It was just something that I, I had out there. And I presented it to them. And what I had done is I had taken a lot of the presentation materials that I had um, received from people who presented for us. We had, you know, we had permission to use this stuff. Um, a lot of my own presentations and um, 
and, and we were making them available there. And I went and I presented to the board again. And again, they pretty much said, no, we don't want this. This is not what back on track is all about. So George being the driven guy that he is, I said, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. I've already spent all this work to, to launch the platform. I'm going to launch it. And I picked the name Career Jockey with the byline, run your, um, ride your career hard so it doesn't ride you. And, uh, and I just launched it. And shortly after I launched it, I go, wow, this was a huge stroke of luck because now I can do whatever the heck I want. And I, I'm not under the auspices or the control or the power of back on track. And, and they had no problem with me doing this. And so I became a blogger and I had never blogged before. Um, I wasn't a particularly great writer, but let me tell you, over the years, I became a, I, I've become a really good writer, I think anyway. And um, I blogged to the jobless community. I learned how to tap into other resources so that I could get traffic to my website. I basically developed some very strong internet marketing skills uh, because I had to learn how to promote my uh, career jockey site. Uh, another thing that I got from this back on track experience was one very crucial lesson for me out of that book, What Colors Your Parachute. In that book, there's a, a, there's a section that it, it, an exercise you go through and it helps you identify your people skills, your technical skills. And by technical, I don't mean technology. I mean, hands-on skills. Like, you know, if you're a dentist, obviously you have hands-on skills. You can cure people, a nurse, um, you know, an accountant has accounting skills, a lawyer has lawyer skills. So it, it identified skills that are very um, tactile, doing skills, people skills, and that included one-on-one -on -one skills, which means uh, how well were you at negotiating one-on-one, -on -one, how good are you on the kind of skills that lead to good sales, and then presentation skills. Um, and, and there was a fourth one, I can't really recall, but because I was presenting that um, to one of the back on track audiences, I put myself through it just so that I could give an example. And as I, as I went through the exercise, I had always considered myself strongest on the technical side. That was just my mental picture of myself, especially since I came from, you know, a hardcore computer science background. And the exercise made it blatantly clear that by far my strongest skills were my one-on-one -on -one people skills and my one-to-many presentation skills. And that was a real eye-opener for me because I'm thinking, wow, in the jobs that I've had, I had managed plenty of people by then. And it, it really you know, showed me, hey, I, I tended to be a very good leader. Um, whenever I was um, evaluated by my, both my peers and the people that worked for me, I always got very high scores. So that, I mean, the, the exercise confirmed that, but it also pointed out that I was underutilizing those skills. Uh, I'd never been in a sales position before, um, although I presented, you know, when I had the chance, that wasn't something that I spent a whole lot of time doing. And what it really got me thinking was, how do I put these skills to use? Well, fast forward a couple of years and, um, you know, just to get a, a nice four layoffs, uh, I was laid off from my fourth job. 
And now I'm doing a job hunt with this transferable skill thing in my head. And I remember going to an interview and it was an interview for a, a director of technology position, very similar to ones that I had before. And the guy, one of the people interviewing me was the guy who currently sat in that job. And, uh, you know, as part of the interview, I asked him, I go, why are you leaving this position? And the guy said, look, I've been in technology positions all my life. And if I look at my future career track, the director of technology never makes it to CEO. The CEO always comes out of finance, accounting, and most importantly, he mentioned sales. If you know how to capture the market and sell, you're in a power position, much better from a career perspective to have that experience than to have this technology position. And so he was moving over to head up the sales organization and he was vacating that position. And that really opened up my eyes, particularly because one of the the jobs that I was being courted for was to start uh, a sales group or to open up a sales office in Miami for a company out of Texas. And it was selling IBM, um, IBM products, services, things like that, which was something I knew extremely well. And, um, and I go, you know what, I'm going to take a chance at sales. So I accepted that position which was financially financial suicide. My wife was panicked. I was panicked and I'm the optimist, but it forced me to learn sales. And I'm talking about learning sales by the seat of your pants, hardcore. I absolutely never advise anyone to do that, but that's what George did. So, um, I mean, I don't know how close to filing for bankruptcy I can. It probably wasn't that close, but it felt that way. But, it got me into sales. And because I was in that position, I was able to later change into a position with a company was my last corporate position. And that was um, a position where I needed to help a large organization develop really close ties to IBM because they needed to be a top-notch IBM vendor and their relationship with IBM was mediocre at best. And because I had, I mean, I had gone through that, I knew all the people, I was the perfect person for that role. And that was the beginning of this business that I run today. So here I am, um, much more confident about my sales skills, much more confident about my understanding of how buyers think how buyers, especially buyers like me, you know, I was in the technology position, what are the things that I would do, but I was able to see it from the outside in. And, you know, I looked at it and I'm going, you know what, I may be close to ready to being able to start my own business. And I had always in the back of my mind wanted to do that. The whole corporate thing was getting old. I remember working for people who I thought, you know, these people are okay, but I could do their job so much better than they can. Um, why don't I get out of corporate? And, um, you know, I've already been laid off, what, four times? You know, maybe I should get the hint that maybe I'm just not cut out to work for other people. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to leave that for part two, but uh, I want to finish this one off by saying that 
my going from isolated techie to fully embracer of community isn't something that I would have ever expected. It wasn't my natural slant. It wasn't where I was when I started this adventure I've been describing. But because of my experience with that back on track community specifically, I became so much better at being the person I wanted to be. Because by the way, this helped me out at home, my relationship with my wife, definitely my relationship with my kids. But it also took me a huge step forward in my career, in my ability to tackle entrepreneurship very intelligently, understanding with a lot of awareness what my strongest skills were and preparing for a jump into entrepreneurship that was not suicidal like my jump into sales was. So, uh, I mean, communities are critical for so many things. Um, and I also want to point out, and I will in a future episode talk about this, about bad communities and how bad communities can be toxic and detrimental to you. But communities are so critical to both personal, business, and growth in strong relationships that I can't say that enough. So uh, stay tuned for future episodes. We're going to have uh, some guests in the next couple of weeks, and then uh, stay tuned to part two, where I'm going to continue uh, with the story that I started. Cheers. You've been listening to the Let's Talk Community podcast with George Diaz. To subscribe to this program or find other marketing resources for your business, visit us at www.celebratingrelationships.com. That's www.celebratingrelationships.com. Thanks for listening.